Here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Welcome to the award-winning magazine and music show, Box 39. I am really Bill Lawrence, and for the next hour, join me, Ian Tallentire, Adrian Cohen and Mike Harwood, all of us live here in Studio One at Cone Radio Towers. And I am Ian Tallentire, and this week we are asking... Is it all over for cricket as we know it? Should the game be run by businessmen in order to survive and compete successfully in the competitive world, brim full of sports? Or should a sport be owned and run by sports fans and players to maintain its integrity? And I'm Mike Harwood, the Box 39 Poet in Residence, with exclusive poetry to help focus and gain insight into the complex, complicated and changing game of cricket. And as always, we are joined by Adrian Cohen, who will be here in Studio One, with his musical choices and thoughts to throw yet more light onto the events surrounding Lord David Price. And, of course, we'll be with our live 16-piece house band, Ausgang Exit. Well, we begin the show with the extraordinary news that Lord David Price, the aristocrat of cricket and friend of Box 39 and Cone Radio, has just been placed under house arrest at his property on the Cayman Islands. Very, very sadly, this means that Lord David is unable to come to our studio tonight as scheduled to talk about the current test series being played here in England against India. But you can be here, please. Join us. Uh, we've got our, our work experience, Anton. He's in the, uh, in, in the corner in our dedicated social me- media hub with Adrian. Join us at studio at colmradio.com. That's for all you email fans. Uh, Twitter, we're at Box39. And Facebook, we're at Box39 Colm Radio. Shocked by this news, we have decided to focus this week on the man at the middle of the maelstrom of scandal, Lord David Vladimir Price, the 15th Lord of Market Lexton, global businessman, cricket executive and Essex County Cricket's number one fan. This, ladies and gentlemen, is our Lord David Price Scandal and Salmon special show. Previously. Hey, you, what's in box 39? I've been living in the darkness, shadows in my apartment, heartless Taking love just to spill it on a parchment, next page and I'm out again I've been living in the nightlife, lips hit you like a drive-by frostbite Ice cold demeanor cut you like a sharp knife, next page and I'm out again Ever the master of an approach to public relations and self-promotion 
that is unencumbered by any semblance of ethics, Lord David Price wrote this song entitled Thief in 2017 and had chart topper Ansel Elgort sing it for free in return for what Lord David promised were the only prints and negatives in existence after that party on Lord David's yacht. The song was intended to burnish Lord David's brand and curry favour with oligarchs and criminal gangs in Russia. This is exactly what happened. Furthermore, in this part of the song, which has been faded down so that you can hear me saying this, the lyrics feature a rap about smoked salmon laundering, a lucrative business idea that Lord David came up with when selling Scotland's Loch Ness and all its contents to a Saudi Arabian prince whose hobby was paleontology. It has been reported that Russian President Vladimir Putin has this song as the ringtone on his mobile phone. Outgoing exit there, leading us from this piece. This bit is called Scots Accountants Having a Sugar High. Thanks, boys. We'll leave them in the corner playing away with that. Now, really, these are shocking revelations, uh, listeners, concerning Lord David Price, and we'll be hearing more about those later in the show. Meanwhile, in our previous show, uh, the voice of Comradio Cricket, Andrew Eldershaw, described the modern game of cricket as being a whole series of different games, different lengths, tactics, rules and regulations, all called cricket, yet uh, as different as table tennis is to lawn tennis. So I want to know, I, I, I've sent Ian on an investigation this week, what's happening? Why is it happening? And, and is it all for the good of the game that's existed? As we've known it for over 200 years. Ian, you've been out on your investigating, uh, your investigation. You've looked at the good, you've looked at the bad, the murky, and the great bits of cricket for us this week. Thank you so much. So let's start, Ian, with what's happening. What is this 100-ball cricket that keeps being mentioned? And most importantly, am I going to like it? Well, in all honesty, Bill, I'm really not sure about either point. I mean... Firstly, 100 is quite simply not divisible by 6, and therefore in cricketing terms, it won't work. Who has ever heard of a game of cricket composed of 16.666 recurring overs, or 16 overs and 4 balls? I mean, sorry, what, you're mouthing at me? Oh, yes. oh, yeah, go on. I'm trying to get you to do your maths. So, it's, it's, it's 16 overs, 6 and 1 over of 10, that was the original proposal, but actually not. It's 20 overs of 5 balls each. Well, that's not cricket either. I mean, so what else are they changing? Are we going to end up with 12 players playing tag, a special one coming on? Oh, you're nodding at me. Well, Lord David Price suggested, are we going to have stumps made of jelly? Well, evidently, from what I've uh, sort of just quickly Googling on uh, other search engines are available, people, um, it would appear that we are going to have a specialist batsman and a specialist bowler. Um, So there'll be 12 players on a team. I mean, this really is looking less like cricket all the time. And, I mean, to be quite honest, Bill, I asked my oracle in cricket, my old man, when I was up in Manchester over the weekend about this, and he said much the same. In all honesty, he thought it was a joke. 
Then yeah. again, if you can't fit a T20 format, and for those folks who don't know, that's 120 balls of cricket into a terrestrial TV slot, and 100 balls will work, well, isn't the money going to talk? Well, yeah, it, but I, it sounds quite good to me. I mean, these longer games, the traditional county three or four day games, five days for test matches, isn't that a bit long? I mean, I get a bit bored. But it, it is long, but part of the joy of cricket is the intense um, psychological battle that goes on between the bowling team and the batsman at the crease. It is this whole thing of the, the power um, sort of swaying as the game progresses. I mean, that's the great joy of the game. OK, well, you, you've, I know you'd, you'd go on about subtleties of pace and length and swing and flight and spin. Yeah, and from to the be bowlers. quite honest, I'd then talk about... the. The batsmen's, you know, length of concentration, their patience, their tenacity, and ultimately the aggression and dominance that they would show once they've mentally subdued the bowlers. But then I can't do that. I get back from work. It's 7.30. I've got my tea on my lap. I just want to see a quick game. Well, if that's what you want. I can't sit there for five days. But that that is going to feed the needs of a different audience, which is really where we're going, isn't it? Well, you know, okay, I, I'm, I found the days of boycott. Randall, you're probably going to tell me, it was great. He was, he was great. Oh, I just lost the will to live. It well, just went on and on and on. It oh. may have been a bit like paint drying, Bill, and I agree up to a point, but watching Derek Randall twitch, jump, hop, and poke the cricket ball away, somehow getting his back behind it, was an inspiration. And to be quite honest, the way that he could bore the opposition from a winning position into a draw was simply fantastic. Well, OK, I'll accept then there is room for all these different versions of the game. Is that right? Do you think there's room for them all? I think there probably is. I, I think the, the worrying thing for me is that if we're going to change to and predominantly be viewing these shorter formats and have our best players playing them, because that's where the revenue generation is going to be, um, what are we going to do with test matches? Because these players are going to lose the ability to occupy the crease. We're already seeing five-day games only last three and a half. Or, or if it goes to a fourth day, you get three overs bowled. Well, um, I suggest that uh, the answer is we keep adding new versions. We rework the existing versions of it and... Uh, and uh, we turn the game into a globally marketed game, like they did with the English Premier League. That worked in the 1990s, Formula One in the noughties, that worked, didn't it? It certainly did work. Um, and so, you know, yeah, there are arguments for both. But I'm, I'm also, I, st- I go back to my player development and exposure to the psychology of the longer game. They, for me, are the key of real cricket. Oh, OK, well, we'll be back with your investigation later. Right, coming up now, some really, really important news about Lord David Price. A member of the British House of Lords has been detained by the authorities in the Cayman Islands. This is today's news tonight with... Vanula McPhee. Good evening. I'm Fanula McPhee, and this is the news. Tonight's main story. Controversial British peer, Lord David Price, has been placed under house arrest by the government of the Cayman Islands. He was arrested as he tried to board a flight to the UK where he was scheduled to make an appearance on a leading British radio station. 
earlier reports suggested that he had been arrested due to an unspecified financial irregularities. As outrage grew about this, a spokesman for the Cayman Islands Finance Ministry calmed fears by assuring investors and savers that financial irregularities continue to be fully welcome on the islands and that Lord David's arrest was over another matter. As of yet, no spokesperson for the British peer has issued any comment. Sources in the island's finance department, however, speaking off the record, suggested that Lord David was arrested in connection with a smoked salmon laundering scheme, where salmon sourced in the Crimea was being packaged in tartan-themed wrappers and shipped back to Europe, where they were being passed off as Scottish. Customs officials on the Cayman Islands noticed that the packages also had a picture of Vladimir Putin in a judo suit superimposed on a map of the Crimea, giving the salmon his thumbs up. One source said that while any or all manner of criminal or quasi-criminal financial schemes can be accommodated or overlooked on the islands, Passing off salmon as Scottish, when it's not Scottish, is way beyond the pale and will not be tolerated by the island's authorities. Lord David Price has overstepped the line with this outrage, said one official who wished not to be named. And we've just heard that the issue is to be raised later today in the Houses of Parliament. We will keep you updated as news comes in. And now for other news. aristocratic blue blood stretching back generations, there is of course no suggestion whatsoever that Lord David Price ever watched ITV when he was growing up, and while he will happily talk about selling Chinese counterfeit Blue Peter badges to his public school classmates from his satchel at break times, ask him about the ITV children's programme Magpie, and he has no clue as to what you were talking about. Having said that, Lord David appears to have taken great inspiration from the Arthur Daly character, played by George Cole. With Dennis Waterman's Terry McCann as his bodyguard in the popular ITV series Minder, 
Arthur Daly was a socially ambitious but highly unscrupulous importer-exporter, wholesaler, used car salesman and purveyor of anything else from which there was money to be made, whether within the law or not. Having supposedly never watched Minder, Lord David Price's similarity to Arthur Daly can only further the debate about nature versus nurture in terms of character and criminality. This is a poem about uh, the Lord's NatWest T20 blast between Middlesex and Sussex in the summer of 2016. For my birthday present, my daughter bought a uh, tickets for the family to go to Lord's to see this. I'd previously uh, only seen county cricket. I was born 10 miles from the cradle of cricket at uh, Broadpenny Down in um, Hampshire. And uh, this was a new experience. I've called it Blast on Blast. Blast the late coming corporate cacophonies, crusading from city bars down grandstand aisles, pints tilting from cardboard carriers blocking views, disturbing spectators during overs, cries of sit down dismissed with wide, smug smiles. This blast of Babel city men missed the bowler's subtle action, the flick of wrist. They only see, replayed on big screens, a blissful six. A ball strikes the pink stone pavilion, where MCC members detest rules relaxed for T20 games, allowing in members of opponents and Middlesex, tradition slammed. I have never seen the pavilion so crammed with such repulsive apologies for the human race. Ill-behaved, ill-dressed yobs, the great unwashed, Gentlemen, our dress code, please. Only cravats or ties. No cargo trousers, sneakers, beach-style flip-flops. No t-shirts, flowered shorts or undone flies. Number two, money on money. A Sussex bowler delivers his pride weapon. A disguised googly leg-break contrivance. An un as undetectable as missing tax millions in offshore havens for tax avoidance. I say, I know we've only just met, but would you care for some Besserat de Bellafron champagne? A quail's egg? Mind you, they are rather tiny. Take two. Thanks, I say. I don't do quails. What a delivery. Only just missed the offside bales. Leg break, tax break, wild swing to long leg. Batsman six has lost his middle stump peg. Oh, quail woman says. Like you, I must pay attention to the way the bowler bends it. Oh gosh, they do rather smell off. I do hope you're not offended. Three, music on music. Sussex bowl through to the lower order. Leg break googlies deceive a wicket tuned to dancing in the moonlight by top loader. On the outfield, a raisin rises, while iPhone signals transfer market millions from the pavilion to the Cayman Islands. 
MCC members lament their home team's demise. Bright pink shirts, black shiny trousers. Innings finished by Sussex Quicks taking wickets. Changeover music blasts the circus ring of corporate cricket. Then Lizzie, the boys are back in town. Arctic monkeys when the sun goes down. Although you're trying not to listen, I bet your eyes are staring at the ground. She makes a subtle proposition. I'm sorry, I will have to turn you down. Four. Stumps up stumps. Four to the mound stand under Father Time marks the final Rasmataz flame fair over for Sussex, county of sweeping hills and clover. This T20 blast, far from the batten ball of broad penny down Hambledon, late 18th century cradle of cricket, where could be heard a cuckoo, a thrush, a blackbird in a boundary bush. Father Time, aloft, stumps not marked by Investec Investment Asset Marketing Management, with one tin hand lifts a bale from his metal wickets, declares an end to the circus sugar-coated game, waves to leaping cheerleaders as they go home. Once again, we have to return to the shocking events that have surrounded our cricket correspondent, the aristocrat of cricket and Essex County Cricket Club's number one fan, Lord David Price, this week. Without any further shillyashallying, we quite literally bring you this very special report from Valerie Rope, Cole Radio's parliamentary correspondent. Mr. Speaker, honourable members, well, with regard to Lord David Price. Order. Mr. Speaker, these criminal enterprises, we can accept uh, the, the corruption of foreign governments. We can accept. 
Mr. Speaker, his intricate international dealings involving smoked salmon, we can accept and even applaud, Mr. Speaker. Indeed, his invention of spot fixing was British innovation at its finest. But the way in which Lord David Price is bringing this house into disrepute is a suspicion that when it comes to cricket, he knows absolutely nothing. He's bringing this house into disrepute when it comes to cricket. He talks a lot about box. Order! 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 Members will calm down. Thank you. And Mr. Speaker, will Lord David Price come here and answer to this house? I give way to the Honourable Gentleman, Lord Adrian of Lexton and Stanway. I thank the Honourable Gentleman, Lord William of Western Holmes. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I speak here on behalf of Lord David Price, who is currently under house arrest on the Cayman Islands an outrage that I will touch upon at another time. Mr Speaker, I am here now to answer the charge that Lord David is bringing this House into disrepute by talking what is alleged to be, and I quote, a load of old bollocks about cricket. Order! I will read a statement by Lord David that proves otherwise. If I may, Mr. Speaker, India's relationship with Test Match Cricket is in conflict and its refusal to play day-night Test Cricket is holding back the future of the game. So says former Aussie Test Matchman Mark Waugh. Mr. Speaker, recently India ruled out playing Australia in a day-night test match at the Adelaide Oval this coming December. Aside from India, only Bangladesh and Ireland, who a few months ago played their first ever test, have not played a day-night test match. <laughs> Australian Mark War. Australian Mark Waugh said the decision was not just disappointing, it was also selfish, given the falling popularity of test cricket around the globe. It's selfish from India's point of view, because we need to revitalise test cricket, he said. Day-night test cricket, in some countries, is going to be one of those ingredients that could transform test cricket back to where it should be. So, what is the future of Test Match Cricket? Although many top international players view Test Cricket as the purest form of the game, it has fallen away in many cricketing nations, including the West Indies and South Africa. In fact, it's only Australia, India and England where Test Cricket is alive and steady. <laughs> 
And that's a worry, as you'd think that the ICC, with India as their minder, would want to broaden the reach of Test cricket throughout the world. Sadly, the ICC can shout as loud as they can, but due to their vast TV audiences, the Indians won't necessarily listen. So, why are India so reluctant to play day-night test cricket given their playing depth? Their team is pretty well suited to the day-night cricket, they've got a string of fast bowlers so they don't just rely on the spinners, and their batsmen are technically very good as well. So, for the greater good of the game, it would have been great to have seen that in a day-night test. Trouble is, the BCCI are more concerned about keeping their stranglehold on the throat of international cricket rather than the worldwide development of the game. They dislike the DRS system but love the hype, the thrill and the rupee of the short format and this has rubbed off on many of the players too. In this age of immediate gratification and short attention spans, which player wants to spend a full day in the field? And for the viewers used to watching batsmen smash the ball out of the ground, who wants to watch five days of hard, dour cricket? Change can only come from within. While many Indian players have woken up to the reality that test cricket means much longer hours for much less pay, it's good to see that Indian captain Virat Kohli has taken a slightly different stance. In a recent interview, he pointed out that job satisfaction and potential legacies are infinitely greater in test match cricket than the shorter white ball formats. Test match achievements are carved into marble. One day feats are written on chip paper, he said. Test cricket is never going to be as important as it once was, but if it can survive as the art house niche to T20's Rambo, then it might start to develop devout and solid support. As an apparent disciple of Test cricket, Kohli is up against a culture of apathy and instant gratification. But if anyone can help overcome this, he can. David, have you been listening to this? Yes, I thought that went down rather well. Threw the damn hounds off the scent. What do you reckon, Lord Adrian? Do you think we got away with it? Yeah, I think it's very good, very, very good. Uh, but I'm happy to do the favour. No, 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 no. I think you've done a marvellous job. And just remember, there will be money in it for you, you know. You're listening to Box 39, The Wall of Radio Sound. With Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen, and Ian Tallentire. Oh, there's Ausgang Exit here, and this is intriguingly titled, and rather difficult to say sometimes, Blinky the Bonk Binker. 
So thanks to their leader, Henry, there, who's conducting at the front. Excellent, boys. Keep going. And uh, I think, actually, you'll agree, for those who just listened to that statement from Lord David, he sort of really said quite a lot of the things that I said earlier to you, uh, Ian, that, uh, you know, who want, the, 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 the days of Test cricket may be numbered. So... Let's. Uh, we've talked about those massive structural changes in the formats, uh, nationally and across the world. But really, who owns cricket? Who decides what's best for the game? Remember, it was Captain Kirk would say, uh, "What is the prime directive? Does cricket exist to bring intrinsic pleasure to its followers, or to bring wealth?" fame and legacy for its players or really is it there to make money for those with clear financial interests just like any other international business so ian who owns this game of cricket a very interesting question bill and there are two answers folks because there's the joyous um, old boys of the mcc and they appear to own the rules can't have much of a game unless you're allowed to play by the rules so but who owns the trading rights as such well that'll be the ecb which i think is a bit of an odd sort of uh you know shortening of the name because they're the england and wales cricket board but don't mention the missing w it seems to bear no significance whatsoever and they're also based at lords which is the home of middlesex the mcc maybe they hire the offices from them i need to have a closer look at the accounts ian ian how many members on this ecb 41 there's a chairman Right. Uh, or there's a, chair, there's a chairman of the 18 first-class counties, 21 chairman of the non-first-class boards, the chair of the MCC, funnily enough, he gets a mention, and the chair of the Minor Counties Cricket Association. But that's not the managing board, which is composed of 12 members whose names I'd be surprised if you were to recognise, well, you'd get one of them. Though you'd be pleased to hear, Bill, that there are three women on the board. That's not really enough, is it? <laughs> um, so you've got various branches of cricket as well, haven't you? You've got local grassroots, then you get county, then you get national, and you get their, their equivalents in the other cricket-playing nations. Uh, how important uh, would you say and um, powerful are these various branches of cricket then? Well, the major stakeholder uh, and the organisation, it seems, in cricket that has their finger on the pulse of the uh, cash flow is definitely ECB, with income of approximately £125 million per year. Though, bizarrely, in the last full financial year, with an operating loss of £30 so That's a lot of money, isn't it? That's a lot of money. They need to get their house in order pretty darn smartish. And that might well be why that question of the 100 ball game has uh, reared its ugly head and as we all know it's coming to a city near you well in which case well i go back to what i said before you know you've got to have change because otherwise the game's gonna die isn't it well you have and i think what we saw only a few weeks ago when we went to see essex host india at the county ground um was that you know you start off with a four-day game India insists that it's shortened to three. They also insist that they can have about 18 to 20 players involved. And all of a sudden, the game's a a non-game. It's a nothing, a non-entity. And that was all India's doing, you know, their national team. And then what you get is an uproar from the Indian viewing public when Essex decided to charge for the live video stream to try and make up for the lost revenue from the missing Saturday's play. I mean, music to my ears, after bringing the game into disrepute as far as I'm concerned, but obviously not to the fee-playing Indian public. Well, who's the consumer then? Who's the really important consumer? Because you've got all these... You've got these different people. You've got the, uh, the retired vicars at the grounds watching. You've got the television viewers like myself. I love a bit of Channel 5. 
Um, what about the Sports Channel subscribers? I mean, Sky uh, Cricket is available pretty much 24 hours a day, 365 days a year on Sky. Only if you pay. And they are the main viewer. Um, whether you're in the UK or Australia, India, the West Indies, New Zealand, wherever you are watching your cricket, if you're pay for view, you are the uh, prime consumer and the consumer that they want to take care of. If you go and park your bottom on a seat at the county ground, then obviously you're paying your entry fee. And that's great for the county because they're reliant on those bums on seats um, as much as they're reliant on the trickle-down effect from the ECB with their players on contract and um, the small amount of pay that they receive directly from the ECB for grassroots and for so other aspects. That's a great thing then. All this money's going to the sky and it's, it's trickling down, filling the pockets of, of uh, little clubs like Wivenhoe County Cr- no, uh, Cricket Club. I mean, they may, right? get, they may get a little, but it is only going to be a little and they're only going to get it for cricket development. Now think about how it works with the football. Most of these, most of these big organisations now don't even need to have their fans in the ground to be running at a profit. And how much grassroots development do we see? Do we see loads of 3G and 4G pitches being provided by the FA? No, we don't. In fact, we see nothing. All we see is a reduction in uh, council pitches, uh, not just a reduction in number, but in quality. We're really struggling with facility in sport. And as we've discussed, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's football, without facility, uh, without opportunity, you don't get development. Well, Mike, I'd like to uh, bring you back in here, if that's possible. Uh, just like to think, you know, we're talking about without proper investment, cricket could disappear. You know, it has done in the West Indies, hasn't it? We're talking about New Zealand, Ian saying it's, it's not really going there. David Price was saying, you can't eat principles, can you? You can't eat your integrity, you can't survive on that. Um, you know, change and be damned or die. Is that not right? What's your view on that? Well, clearly the uh, current... Um County cricket formula is not sustainable, um, as we've pointed out. But uh, the 100-ball blast reflects the unfortunate um, kind of current desire for the quick fix. And um, it doesn't really... Life is not that simple. And uh, if you're constantly living on the surface, uh, it's very difficult to move on and learn from experience in life. So surely a form of cricket could be developed that um, incorporates the light and shade of the more subtle aspects and uh, fantastic uh, elements of the cricket game. Yes, we we, we possibly have been wrongly speaking, saying it's got to be one or the other. Maybe they they can all coexist, but this hundred ball thing seems to have got people quite cross that that that, that is, you know, it's a destructive uh, game. What do you think, Ian? I think the slash and bash, slash and smash type game is ultimately quite destructive. What you're looking at are people hurling down a ball as fast as they can down the wicket and people trying to smash it out of the ground. That's just two aspects of the game. What you're actually losing ultimately are the skill set that you require to be a complete cricketer or a complete team. Um, What has happened to spin? Why are spin bowlers not encouraged? You know, why is it that our senior batting coach um, is an ex-England batsman who frankly never performed that well as an England batter? I'm talking about a certain Mr. Mark Ramprakash, who may be Essex-based, but you know what? At this point, I'm going to slag him off a little bit. Because you need to be developing those skills and all those wonderful nuances of the game. Um, because 
they are also what keep, keep people interested as well as the hectic, fast-paced activity of the very short game. And if I can just say that uh, it's the, uh, the emotion and uh, the kind of uh, psychological battles between bowler and batsman, it's not just uh, hitting the ball out the ground, it's, uh, it's, it's the whole psychology and uh, intrigue about how to survive or how to suddenly feel confident and, or, or defend and yeah. I think that's uh, we could learn from that. And just to interject, Mike, you could see that in both the England first and second innings in the last Test match. You know, their their batsmen were never at any point comfortable facing those batsmen. Um, that's right. You know, there was a guy with a rather unusual arm action, so the ball's coming in at an angle rather than straight past his ear, yeah. and they just could not adapt to survive. Yeah. And it's it, that's what intrigues me about the game. Yeah. It is that psychological aspect. And the interesting thing will be, how will they deal with that with, uh, in the next Test match? Ah, well, you see, we need a new generation of captain, like, uh, like really of old. Never the best batsman, never the best fielder, but yeah. as regards a man-manager on the field, and because we, we are talking about the men's game here, so I, I hope I get away with that. Yeah. Um, you know, he was just um, wonderful in mm. his instinctive field settings and all the rest. Nothing yeah. unconventional, but he moved his people around and he got results. I wonder whether, uh, with that unusual arm action, the ball coming in at an unusual angle, whether they go back to the um, curved bat, which might counter that quite well. It could do, but the most important thing is to learn to play straight. So we can say, vive la différence. is said to have been one of the great inspirations in Lord David Price's life. And according to his biographer, hearing this song by the Dodgems in 1979 may have triggered Lord David's admiration for the famously missing peer of the realm. Indeed, Lord David has spoken of how his dream is to be every bit as elusive as Lord Lucan, while at the same time being far more successful and far less probably or even obviously dead as opposed to simply missing. Having said that, there are 35 countries in the world where Lord David has arranged to have himself legally declared deceased. While Lord Lucan fell into debt as a result of his gambling addiction, Lord David has never placed a bet in his life on any event or result, the exact outcome of which he did not have complete control. I've been doing uh, a lot of research recently uh, 
uh, for this program um, on the uh, proposals for the 100 ball cricket blast. And I've read many articles and uh, many points of view, and I have uh, brought this together in this poem. The English Cricket Board plans for the marketing of the 100 ball cricket blast. 15 traditional six ball overs, a single 10 ball to complete. 40 balls shorter than T20. Fresh, exciting, what a treat. County crickets on the run, attended only by retired vicars. We want games for young children, cash from Auntie Beeb, say the top-down board of dictators. A retired chief constable, a sky exec, another cop and two bankers, the big hitters. Okay for handling riots and financial crisis, but insights on the finer points of cricket? Counties were persuaded to keep stum for millions of pounds a reward a year, with Yorkshire businessman Colin Graves, founder of Costcutters, the power wielder on the board. To ensure specialist batsmen prolong their innings, will there be no LBWs, no middle stump? A 12th man designated big hitter, who doesn't field a cricket for clowns, a baseball stunt? I am the batsman and the bat. I am the bowler and the ball. The umpire, the pavilion cat. The roller, pitch and stumps and all. Kill the aesthetics for the popular. Degrade the sacred and profane. Reinvent the game for a million pounds. Praise the ECB's mundane cocaine. And I'd like to just point out that the uh, verse of I'm the batsman and the bat all-encompassing was uh, written by a Scottish poet, Andrew Lang, about God's control of the game. We can see some parallels here. Thanks very much, Mike, and thanks to Adrian for finding those extracts uh, that he's talked about during the bits of music. Wonderful. Uh, and we now understand why Lord David Price has been such a well-loved cricket correspondent at Colm Radio over these years. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Box 39's poet in residence and roving wordsmith, Mike Harwood, recently attended one of the most iconic events in British sport, the first day of the summer test match at the home of world cricket, Lord's Cricket Ground. St John's Wood in North London. Here is his report. This is Miguel, your roving first day of the test match at Lord Reporter. It's uh, two o'clock, we arrived at 11, there's been no play so far. There was um, a man, I think his name was Fingleton, with a orange and yellow tie, complete with orange and yellow jacket. I was dazzled by that to the point that I think he might have had an MCC orange and yellow coloured binoculars, uh, which he doesn't need to see anything at the moment because it's the back of, of the uh, tavern stand and there was no play. I've just heard someone say, I say Fingleton, I think it's clearing up. I think there's a chance of play. 
Ian Fingleton wrote an article saying that during T20s, members are allowed into the pavilion. And he called those kind of members, who weren't MCC originals, the great unwashed because of the way they dressed. Um, they behave like subhumans, he said. It's just been announced that play is abandoned from the day. Diogenes, the uh, Greek philosopher, said, our statues for money to practice disappointment. And what's happened today is how you deal with it. And it's very, very thoughtful, met some pleasant strangers, had good conversations, and life goes on. The highlight was a fully clothed man, probably in his 50s, who went out and just sort of sprawled himself on the covers. Probably about mid-off, somewhere around there, close in. He was arrested and then everyone else was told that if they do the same thing, they'll be fined a thousand pounds. So was it worth coming just to see that? I've already made my case for why it's been a great day. A quick afterthought as I'm at the North Gate in the pouring rain now, going back to uh, Baker Street to go back to Rivenhoe, is that the main disappointment was that I didn't catch any sign of David Price. I can't help feeling he's got something to do with the fact there was no play today. I'll leave you with that thought. This is your roving reporter, Miguel, saying good evening and goodbye from Lords on a rainy day. Goodbye. Last bit from the boys in our Gang exit tonight. This is Cheeky Monkey at the Water Cooler. Boys, keep going in the background if you don't mind. Now, we talked earlier, didn't we, about how crickets run. We talked about stakeholders. We talked about the future needs uh, for the balance of power, perhaps to shift towards the money and business influences if it's to survive with so much competition. We, we sort of came to a decision to be positive and say, well, there's viva la difference. There's a room for everyone. And uh, there is a lot to be positive about, isn't there? Women, so long, really disenfranchised from the game now finding huge success so uh ian i sent you off to find out whether the men's game with his apparent woes can learn anything from what's happening in the women's game uh you know will it leave a, a, a legacy for the future of the game so what condition is the women's game in ian pretty good nick actually bill um yeah, good. i mean after all last year we won the uh one day um world championships uh That's right. based in england and yeah. therefore we are ranked one in that aspect of the game. In the longer game, the England team are ranked fifth behind India, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. And in the T20, they're ranked fourth behind Pakistan, India and Australia. And somehow quite bizarrely, one, five and four added together and divided by three comes to two. So overall, in the world rankings, they're ranked second. Well, that's uh, that's uh, extremely good, isn't it? I mean, uh, the singer and seam bowler, Whitney Houston, uh, she said... I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. So how right was she then? Well, Does, <laughs> some sort of change in the provision of cricket in state schools? I think what you've done firstly, Bill, is you forced me to reappraise my understanding of Whitney and her passion for the game of cricket. And yes, <laughs> she, she was and continues to be correct. Um, 
In my view, the game appears to be becoming more elitist with a huge reduction in cricket provision in state schools. Um, certainly from my son's perspective um, of probably receiving one hour's worth of cricket teaching or input in the last academic year and he's based at a local school um, whereas you get other local private schools Felsted springs to mind recruiting um, on the basis that they provide excellent sports provision and not just in cricket well we're we're, 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 we're There's got to be investment done, isn't there? Um, the, the Surrey Cricket Club have had a go. bit of uh, triangulation between children, local clubs and county teams. So we're running very much towards the end of our time here. There's a big question which I wish to pose. Uh, you know, has cricket then now just become a niche game for posh boys and for geeks? Uh, Mike, what would you say? Is it now just a posh game for posh boys? Well, there's this thing about... Um commercialisation in uh, football and uh, at least that is kept to uh, before the game and half time um, so I think to counter the um, to, to get people in uh, I think it could be uh, a, a kind of um, uh, cricket where we keep the essence of the game and the elements we've been talking about but somehow make it more accessible um, With entertainment before, with half-time at, uh, at uh, Essex versus India, uh, we had the Indian dancing come out, there were children, there was a fantastic atmosphere. But keep some of the uh, essence of cricket and um, I don't think, it, if, you, if you go around the sports grounds, it's not just a posh game it's, uh, of, of England, it's, uh, it's working people. And I think that should be something that could be focused on to bring more people in like that. Ian, what's your answer to that? Is it just a push for think, push boys? I think as regards the, the players these days, the percentages of uh, privately educated to state educated has changed radically. I think five years ago it was 75% were educated in the state system and that's now reverted the other way. And to be quite honest, with Ben Stokes being one of our state educated players, Frankly, I'd like to see more privately educated players just to take his place. Uh, the ECB have this youth development system in place, don't they? Tell me about that, Ian. What's it called? It's called All Stars Cricket, and it's aimed at providing um, cricket experience to five- and eight-year-olds. And the claim is that they have actually rolled that out to... Um, what was it, 14,000 schools, three and a half million kids. Having said that, when I went online to try and find somewhere that was available within 20 miles of Colchester for the rest of the summer holidays, there was nothing. So, you know, ECB, the kids are still on holiday. They're still available to be playing cricket. They're still wanting to learn about new sports. So do you know what? Don't just focus around your county grounds. Don't just focus at the beginning of the summer holidays when kids are desperate to be outside. The holidays are six weeks long. Do you know, the, the, one of the one things, and at the end of this conversation we've had all this time talking about cricket, one of the things I think is wonderful that we haven't mentioned is that cricket is the most confusing, complicated, misunderstood game that can be played for uh, eight hours a day for five days and still no one can decide who's the winner. As was proved, actually, Bill, when I did a straw poll of my all my... All my staff are female at work. And we did a little straw poll on who understood the rules of cricket, who could tell which which team was being dominant, um, and, and so forth. And they hadn't got a clue. So whether it is still our national game or not, I would hate to say. Hold up. 
And um, I think it's uh, important what goes on off the field because uh, if in a, in a bash it goes, it's all over, it's all mesmerized. Sometimes people need um, time just to kind of uh, relax, reflect, to get to know their friends better. A lot goes on off the field that is really uh, human and really worthwhile. So maybe, dare I mention the word compromise? <laughs> oh, go on. <laughs> you said it. Right. <laughs> oh, it's too late now then. But it's not compromise a... is out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's a relief because it's not part of my philosophy. But, uh, <laughs> Somewhere in there, we could, uh, if we were running it, we could, um, I'm sure, you know, we could actually put something together that would uh, pull together all the things, the positive things we've been talking about during this programme. Wonderful. Thanks, gents. So we've got to say goodbye very quickly because we've shot over all our time limits. We've been having a great old discussion on this, the award-winning Thursday night community magazine programme here on Colm Radio known as Box 39. Sorry, I had the fader right up there, didn't I? You probably didn't hear me. Anyway, Ian, over to you. It's okay, I'm more important, so fade it down for me, Bill. We have been Bill Lawrence, Ian Talantai, Adrian Cohen and Mike Hull. And this has been a very special show, examining the state of the game of cricket, following the very challenging events this week, of course, which has become known quite literally as the Lord David Price Affair. Thanks for coming into the <laughs> studio, Mike. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. I found it uh, a pleasure and an education. I've learned new things about uh, cricket I didn't know. And uh, I look forward to uh, coming back again soon. So, from where we are, high up on the top floor, Studio One here at Cone Radio Tire Towers, Towers, Tires, Towers, high above the full and fertile lands of Northeast Essex, it's time for us to close Box Thirty Nine once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. Goodbye. But it may on your defence if you do not mention when questioned something which you later rely on in court. Okay? What are you doing? I'm cuffing you, you're under arrest.
baked, boiled, braised, grilled, fried, roasted, sautéed, and raw. Stuff them, use them for gravy, pickle them in vinegar, slice them, deep fry, serve them as rings. I'm Bill Lawrence. Join me as I cycle around your radio from midnight every Tuesday night here on Gold Radio with my big bag of onions of musical wonders hung around my neck and over the handlebars of my bicycle.